electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts with a major sell-off. Stocks getting crushed today. The Dow dropping 600 points at the low of the session, breaking back below 24,000. And it all began with these words, which took the entire market down. We expect the targeted investments for future growth to be higher over the remaining three quarters. The outlook assumes that first quarter adjusted profit per share will be the high water mark for the year. The high water mark for the year. That took everything down with it, and it spread across the industrial sector, creating a sea of red. Lockheed Martin, Deere, Northrop Grumman, and Boeing all under pressure. So, is Kat's warning to the world a sign of more pain to come for the industrials and the broader market? Guy Adami, what do you think? Welcome, first of all, A pleasure, always. It's a treat. Melissa Lee, who knows where she is? She's in Miami. Miami. Mystery solved. Mystery solved. Good for her. The answer to your question is, you know, as painful as today was, as, as painful as it felt, if you look at the S&P 500, we're still above Steve Grosso's 2580 level. I mean, markets had a lot of permutations, but yet, quite frankly, it's still held where it's supposed to held. That's number one if you're in the bull camp. Number two, valuations will start to matter in a lot of these names. Caterpillar, highly cyclical. Well, they told you, guess what? Highly cyclical. It shouldn't be that much of a surprise. They've done it before. But at a certain point, you look at these stocks and say, wait a second. It's a pretty compelling story in terms of valuation. I don't think we're necessarily there yet, which got a lot closer today. Again, market felt bad today. But look where we are and look where we troughed a couple of weeks ago. We're still significantly higher than those levels. Karen, it wasn't the only bad news. 3M shaved the top end of guidance. It's two major industrials. And right. 3M short cycle, so. Shaving, okay, that's a little scarier. But just got to go back to Caterpillar for yeah. one second because it seemed to me so taken out of context. I mean, if you were bullish on Caterpillar going into today, you already assumed the risk that, you know, it's cyclical and, and cyclical stocks have some risk. But they upped their guidance. They also beat by such a big amount that those three following quarters were never going to be bigger, or the street never expected them to be bigger than what they actually reported today, right? So I don't understand at all what's changed. And if you read exactly what he says, their outlook, which they raised from 1020, mm-hmm. a range of 1025 to 1125, assumes that the first quarter will be the high watermark. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. There, to me, that was being conservative. I don't understand why the street flipped out over this. Maybe well, it was bond yields starting to move. Maybe just people decided, you know what, I don't want to be the last guy in when it does peak. I'm going to bail out now. Uh, but uh, it seems taken totally out of context. I think it's a very rational response, and you're probably right. Um, I will say, though, at 29 times trailing, and on some level I want to go by trailing because, again, I think we've gotten a lot of good stuff in the stock market. And, and what a lot of these industrial guys are getting are just purely a tax benefit. And that is so front-loaded. Yes, it helps their business long-term. But, but year over year, these numbers are going to be washed out in two quarters, all right? Or certainly but in a year. Forget about but year over year. Just look at the number they put out. I'm not long, Caterpillar. I'm just saying if you were long going into today, 
I don't see what he said that should have made people freak what, out. What he's told you is it doesn't get any better than this. And I think that's what it comes down to. And I think Steve and I at times have had a healthy debate on I this. don't think I that's say, even what he said. Well, okay. But, but when stuff is in the price, it's in the price. And coming into this earnings season, people knew Caterpillar was going to have record quarters. They knew that, in fact, they'd have a huge tax benefit. They knew that the global economy is synchronized. What you wanted to hear from these guys say is things have never looked better, and we think our fourth quarter is going to be. That's. I, I just think the expectation. I, I'm going to bring up the same thing. 3M and Caterpillar. Right. It was two names, though, that really sure, but, but shaved you know, expectations. I, I see, I see, this, is, this is why I love doing the show, because I actually see both sides of it. We're all professional traders, and I see both sides of this. So I guess the pushback is, do you feel like if there's the... If, if it is a synchronized global economy, do you feel like global growth is still intact? So that would be the number one question. You would probably say yes. I do. I, I, my biggest issue right now is equities have a much higher cost of equity in them. And right. they, you know, they're just not worth as much so, in so this environment. So if you think that that global growth picture is still intact, I agree with Karen. I don't think not, that much has changed. And when you hear him say it, he sort of said it in a blasé fashion. He was just throwing it out there. Right. It's a cyclical business. You sort of get that by its nature. But... I do think that the markets took that lead today. And, I, and, and I mean, to Karen's point, rates are there, tech is there, but people, people said, okay, if I don't want to be in tech, what other alternatives do I have? Let's stay in the industrials, maybe get the infrastructure play. But if CAT comes out and says that, you're forced to exit at least on an intraday basis. Here's my issue. I, I mean, I, I know that this is how we're, we're essentially pacing this conversation, but it's not just Caterpillar. All right. I mean, let's be clear. I, I think if you look at the, the depth and destruction across some of the most crowded, popular stocks today, and we're going to get into FANG in a second, so I'll leave that alone. But I just I think we've got uh, a dynamic here where I don't think it was just that. I also think it happened at a time when the president was out there with some serious bellicose tones. The market just doesn't like it. Whether he's Would you sell right? Boeing, though? I, I think that I'd be, yes. you know, the way we introduced this, Boeing yes. up 11 percent. I think I, I feel better about owing, uh, owning Boeing at this point. I'd be a buyer of cat. you got to give it a couple of days. This is not something that you rush it's into. What, what the, I do not sell what, Boeing What on is cat the news. proper multiple for the industrials right now? over the next two years? Somewhere between it? 14 and a half and 16, in my opinion. You look so at, discount I mean, to the market. I, th I think that's probably a healthy thing. I mean, and and Caterpillar's twice that. that I think and and it's, it's a stock that's run 150% in two years, But if guys. you believe the forward earnings, Caterpillar's probably trading, I don't know, 14, 14 and a half. So it's not ridiculously expensive. I don't think it's crazy cheap either. I mean, to really, though, get back to the nuts and bolts, I think this is sort of what Tim is saying. This started long before, though. This has become from a buy-the-dip market pre-January to now it's been a sell-the-rally market, and it started at the end of January. It started on a Friday, I think, February 2nd, when there, a hot wage growth number came out, and the market down went down 700 points. The market changed that day. So we can talk about Caterpillar today, but it started a month and a half, Because remember, ago. a lot of these industrials have also brought up Higher input costs. Right. Yes. Right? For sure. Which makes you start worrying about. They talked inflation. about that. Margin. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, inflation's and margins getting compressed, right? Yeah. I, 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 sir, go ahead, Karen. Well, that, that is a legitimate fear, right? So if <laughs> sales, even if sales are growing, can they keep, is that growth enough to offset? Steel well, prices, isn't isn't that labor, what they're talking about? This is. is being the high water mark. I mean, I think that's the main issue that they're is dealing with. All he said right. was our estimates right. assume that this quarter was the high water mark. And earnings for sure. Well, okay, but, but, uh, but I, I, again, I think that's a great reaction, and I think you're probably going to be right. But I, when I look at what Guy was just saying, it, first, on January 26th, we peaked in the market, then we got that bad payroll number, which was wage hot. Guess what the next thing we've added in between Gary Cohn, Gary Cohn and trade wars and, and Iran and, and all these other things? We've added earnings. Are not do, earnings are a new catalyst for taking the market lower. That's right. 
earnings that but we were expecting were to take this market higher. But it was supposed to be the catalyst to bring the market right. higher, that is, that is and the it's biggest, failing. That is the biggest that, shock the when, when you're going through. And, and I guess the win is that we have not broken the February lows. So for, for me, when I look at it, I would have expected the market not to react this way to earnings. I would expect the market to take a respite from the sell-off. The one shining thing is that we're above the 200-day moving average barely today, but we are above February lows. So in some small victory, that's what I'm looking at, but definitely disappointing that during earnings we see this. You know, this is a little, notice, a little noted data point that this correction thus far is one of the longest since one of the longest that we've had in history, right? Well, longest in history, yeah. In terms, it's 50 days, right? So, obviously, 2008, 2009 was much, much longer. No, the duration of this. This is 50 days of sitting here and not breaking out. I mean, does that tell us anything? Well, except it tells you historical data point that this is not the pause that refreshes, and it wasn't going to be that easy, especially with with equities. Even at Jan 26, even with interest rates, say they were at 2.6, they're. You know, you still have a different cost of equity. Um, and I'll say something else that you may not want to hear about. It's the dollar. The dollar is actually slowly breaking out. It's gone through the 50 and the 100 day. It's actually started to break through some resistance. I don't think that the dollar goes back to 100. But I think a move to the dollar 93, 94 on the DXY, which is where I think it's going in the next three months, is not going to be good for equities. Another group getting crushed today. Tim Seymour already brought it up. Fang. Alphabet was the biggest laggard, with shares falling 5% today, despite a very big earnings beat. That took down the rest of the FANG stocks with it. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google all sitting in or near correction territory. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com, who says there could be even more pain ahead. Hey, Todd. Hey, Michelle. What's going on? Um, yeah, let's first take a look at the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, before we jump into the, into the FANG. So first thing I want to draw your attention to is the daily chart. Up top is the 50-day. Down below here is the 200-day. Obviously, we're sandwiched in between there. What you'll see is if we just do a straight trend line here along the lows, you're going to see a collision right at about 155. That's going to be the decision point. Not saying it's going to break or hold, but I'm saying the market, I think, is going to trade towards that. So what happens at 155 in the queues? I think the next charts will help you decide if you want to be long or short these different fangs because there's different degrees of relative strength and weakness. Google, obviously, earnings look terrible. We had a top way back here in Google. We're already piercing through that 200-day moving average. I mean, we have a lot of vulnerability in Google. We've seen, obviously, a series of lower highs here. So there's relative weakness that's been cooked into this before earnings. Next up, off of Google, Facebook. Obviously, this is the weakest one here. We've got the old support was broken. Return to the scene of the crime is resistance. We've held beautifully and have begun to back away. I think we're headed back towards 150. So if 155 in the queues does not hold, I think you're going to see 150 in Facebook. Um, on some strong, strong side, Netflix obviously is looking very strong. Earnings were solid. They did sell it off here a little bit. You've got to hold this uptrend support. Uh, I think it corresponds right around the 325 level in Netflix. If that holds, that could be a nice buy. If we break, you're targeting the 200 days. So it's all depending on what we're doing down to these critical levels. Uh, last up, uh, we're going to actually, Amazon's another one that looks pretty strong as well. So Netflix and Amazon are your two buys. Google and Facebook, your two sells. Again, it went 55. Facebook reports after the bell tomorrow. So remind me, what are we watching for when it comes to the technical levels uh, when they report after the bell tomorrow afternoon? Well, I, the best thing you could look for is, is obviously go to the options market. Look for the expected move. Again, I think any kind of strength, I think in this kind of tape, the market wants to sell tech in this higher rate environment. I'm not sure exactly what level we're going to trade right after uh, earnings, but I really think you want to sell any strength to get down to that 150 level in the next two to three weeks in Facebook.
Got it. Thank you, Todd. Thanks, guys. All right, let's trade it. <laughs> well, Netflix is still up 60% year to date, and a lot of people could argue that the higher you 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 fly, the more you're going to fall. And 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 I just. I feel like when I look at the queues and I look at the market, where the market is breaking down is where the market had the greatest strength. Nothing's changed with Facebook, with Netflix. Think about those earnings they gave us you know, 10 to, uh, a week ago Monday. I mean, those numbers were fantastic. But to me, that's the stock you watch. It's now at the 50-day. I, I, I think it breaks it. I I Icarus aside, I think you look at Alphabet. <laughs> you like to see this? What well, I mean? done. Nice. Exactly. well done. You know. well, what, what does that mean? No, I know how high, you know, we, we try to raise the level <laughs> of the Melissa game would here. understand Icarus. No, she wouldn't, though. Yes, with that said, would. there were five analysts that made comments about Alphabet today. And I think the low price target I saw was 12.34. I think that might have been Heather Bellini. And I think the high one was 13.50. So analysts are still very constructive. They looked at the quarter, discounted cash flow. You're at a number of different things, all very positive. Doesn't mean the stock can't go down from here. But nothing in that quarter suggested Armageddon for Google, at least in the analyst community. So it's kind of like Caterpillar, right? Exactly. I mean, yes. Exactly. So I mean, earnings are the new factor. Yeah. Earnings are the new catalyst to take the well, market. Well, regul I think regulation is the, is the overlay on all these technology companies. No matter what they what they report, you still have the overlay. You don't know how far-reaching uh, D.C. is going to be. And I think that people are having a hard time quantifying where they should evaluate these companies. I, I like Alphabet. You know, I think Todd said those earnings were really weak. I don't agree with that. I, I mean, the street clearly was disappointed with it. This is an incredibly powerful business. The thing that I really want them to do is some sort of capital allocation, which they just don't seem to do, regardless of how big that cash hoard gets. That's really frustrating. But I, Why was I'm, it such a big problem oh, with, with expensing, with the tax laws? Don't, don't they, they, they get full expensing? They get 100% expensing right now, and everyone had a problem with New York City real estate. With Google, and I think that somehow these all these pieces of the puzzle will come together. But I do believe that the regulatory environment, especially going into the end of May, is going to be a little bit troublesome. But after that, I think you could start to get back into these names. All right, coming up, check out shares of Win. They're falling after reporting earnings just moments ago. Steve Wynn's ex-wife Elaine is she making a play to take over the company? We have a special report. Plus, the Bitcoin boom is in full force, but a civil war is brewing between the two Ooh. largest cryptocurrencies. Huh. Tom Lee will be here to settle the score once and for all. You're watching Fast Money live from Times Square in New York City, and we've got much more right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Win. It's lower after hours. Let's get to Contessa Brew in the newsroom for the latest from the company's earnings call. Hey, Contessa. Yeah, so Michelle, here wins new CEO Matt Maddox is really distancing himself from his predecessor. He's pointing out in the call that embattled founder Steve Wynn is no longer part of the company and that the company's named now three women to the board of directors, that Wynn Resorts has settled these longstanding lawsuits involving Elaine Wynn and Universal Entertainment. He's announced that they're hiking the quarterly dividend by 50%. He says the company can afford it. And he's pointing out the boost in casino revenues in Macau and the growth in Las Vegas, a record first quarter EBITDA in Las Vegas and overall room revenues in Las Vegas broke a quarterly record. But Maddox here is rethinking some of the ongoing development projects. He's talking especially about that big lagoon. It was a big grand vision of Steve Wynn's and another ongoing project that's under scrutiny now, Wynn Boston Harbor. There's been a lot of speculation about selling it and Maddox talked about that on the call. We think it is a really good opportunity. However, we're a $30 billion company, and if there was ever any risk due to heightened rhetoric that there could be any contagion from Massachusetts into our $30 billion company in Las Vegas and Macau, 
we will have to take a hard look at what is best to protect our shareholders and our value. I mean, he's really talking there about those investigations by the Gaming Commission into the Wynn Boston Harbor project. Elaine Wynn, let's talk about her. Now the company's biggest shareholder has turned into an activist to be reckoned with. She's demanding a complete overhaul of the board, urging other shareholders to withhold the vote now from director John Hagenbuck, who she says was a close friend to Steve and has no business on this company committee investigating the allegations against him. And in the midst of all of this turmoil, Wynn shares grew 7.6% since the last earnings announcement on January 22nd. Compare that to the S&P, down 5% over the same time frame there. It's pretty remarkable, Michelle. Yeah, that is a good move. It hasn't fully recovered, though, from when Steve Wynn was pushed out? No. So, in fact, it hasn't. It has beaten what it started the year at, but it has not beaten that point where January 22nd, they announced earnings. It spikes 9%. It's not back up to, it was over $200 a share at that point, not back to those levels, though analysts have pegged their target price at 200 bucks. Got it. Thank you, Contessa. So, Elaine Wynn, has she become a powerful force behind this company as of late? What is her end game? Is it good for the stock? Her end game, Dominic? I think, is to get any board member that had ties to her husband or strong ties, she, they, they're going to bounce him or her. I think that's her end game, to remove any Steve Wynn uh, stench legacy Pals. from the company. And that's her, probably her words, not mine. I have, listen, we met Steve Wynn. I can't speak to what happened. It's, it's none of my business. It's good looking Just hat. that said, though, if you look at the quarter, <laughs> Las Vegas was a, the revenues crushed. The two Macau properties on revenue were disappointing. But if you look at the business overall, it's still an extraordinarily healthy business, I think. Trades around the same valuation-ish as Las Vegas Sands. And I still think the stock is headed north to 200. So I understand some of the, um, Concerns given Elaine Wynn's rhetoric, but I still think the company is viable here. How about the, how about the fact that they might get rid of these two big projects that they had no already? No one a lot of things happen I, until I, these. Yeah, I think I that's fine. Growth. Well, I think that's fine. Paradise Park um, and and maybe sell off Mass. I think they're gonna they're gonna entertain it. I don't think they're gonna talk about that on the call. I think they're gonna try to avoid that. But but to simplify right now is not the worst of things. And, and to think about the business that these guys have, they, they're about 16 percent, a little south of that market share in Macau. Um, the, the Macau business is crushing it. Um, you know, Wind Palace. I think. They the, the, you know, you've had as much uptake there as you could have expected. So the core business is great. But anyone that comes on here and talks about uh, Steve Wynn, who's had some relationship with the man or knows a lot about the industry, talks about this guy is a loss to the company, right? That this guy's a visionary. That this guy oh, has meant the something. The stock got hammered when he departed, right? To, to, to the success of this company has been the positioning of this guy, and in fact, to Las Vegas for that matter, all over. The interesting thing, though, him leaving, though, did raise the possibility of the company being sold. These actions by her seem like she's not looking to get it sold. She's looking to turn it around, keep it. Do you it. think there's M&A bid inside of that stock now? No, that was one of the reasons right. why I ran up and it outperformed yeah. the, the other two names. So you look at Las Vegas and you look at MGM, different makeup versus Macau versus Vegas. But Wynn has outperformed two to one, basically, on a year-to-date uh, performance. And I do agree with Karen. The, the, even though I like Wynn, the best name in the space, the whole space looks technically like it is due for a little bit of a rollover. So I would probably not buy any one of them right now. Coming up, check out this mystery chart. This stock has Ooh, doubled in the that. past year, Ooh. but it's on deck for earnings Guy, tomorrow. Any ideas, Guy? No and idea. traders are betting it's about to get crushed. Huh. We will tell you what this mystery chart mm. is later this hour. Mm. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Yeah, that's how bond investors felt today. 
But the sell-off in bonds could be creating a number of buying opportunities for stocks. We'll tell you the names. Plus, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Bitcoin. And crypto baller Tom Lee says something just happened that could signal more gains to come. He'll be here to explain what that is when Fast Money returns. back to fast money bitcoin hitting a six-week high today back above nine thousand. but despite the rally it is not the hottest cryptocurrency out there there is a fierce civil war brewing in the crypto universe between bitcoin and bitcoin cash while bitcoin has soared 19 percent this past week that's nothing compared to bitcoin cash which is up about 95 percent in the same amount of time so what should you side with in this war. We're getting fun strats. Tom Lee to weigh in on as this battle cry intensifies battle. on both sides. Wow. <laughs> so uh, you're the general here, Tom. What do we do? Um, well, you know, I prefer not to pick winners and losers when, you know, we're looking at cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash. That's I, wimpy. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I think both uh, have merits. But, um, but if I was putting new money to work today, so a fresh dollar, I would be a lot more interested in buying a laggard uh, that could attract fee inflows rather than something that's already potentially overbought. Why is Bitcoin cash going up so much more than Bitcoin regular, shall we call it? Why is it the overbought of the two that you were so yes. reluctant to name? Um, well, I think, you know, part of the uh, interest recently has been because of this uh, upcoming, upcoming hard fork. Um, hard and fork, that's when there is, when they... Yeah, uh, there's a protocol change taking place. You have to re place. Re increase the amount of computing power that is... Added to God, you get hard fork. Right? You got that? Yeah. Hard fork. It's, okay. not, no, it's not sure. knife or spoon or spork. It's a it's hard fork. fork. Hard fork. <laughs> um, a spatula. But, uh, but I also actually think it's in part to, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you had another guest on here, Brian Kelly, talking about Bitcoin Cash. And his, I, I actually think his new entry actually had something to do with it as well. With it as well. Tell me this. Tom McClellan and Jeff Gunlack have both said that they think Bitcoin has acted as... Uh, a measure of the broader market or a signal of the broader market earlier. So when Bitcoin was going up dramatically, that was a signal that the stock market was going to go up dramatically. And when it started to fall, that the stock market was going to fall. Now, is this, do you believe that at all? Uh, I, I'm not a huge believer in Bitcoin being a sentiment indicator for the stock market. Um, but I can see how it's, they're casually connected because, uh, you know, if you look at like the CTA universe, the commodity trading and trend following uh, money managers, Bitcoin to them is simply another instrument that if it's trending higher, they're going to be adding leverage. And so I think as, if Bitcoin's rallying, it, it is indicative of a risk on rally. Do you see adoption when, when we talked about people investing in Bitcoin? Do you see and I like checking in with you on a regular basis because you are right there at the epicenter of this business. Do you see the people that you're talking to on the trading desk? Are they figuring out viable ways to invest in Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, alternative currencies? Are they allowed to? And I use that word purposeful. Are they allowed to invest now? Do you see that as being a wider berth? Yeah, it's, um, I'm not going to quote Rumsfeld correctly, um, but I think it's a little bit like <laughs> no, how no, Rumsfeld no. would say, like, things are happening to make things happen. So I think every week that passes, uh, there's further progress and further clarity. on. So I think more clients are starting to be very serious about um, how they want to have exposure to this asset class. And so we're, we're having more conversations with people you never think would actually have any interest who want to talk about crypto. 
And is Wait, that, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 a go quick ahead. question. Did Goldman Sachs just announce creating a crypto trading desk? Is that, is that a good thing or not necessarily to mean anything? Um, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it, it's, it's a sign that uh, a major investment bank believes that there's enough clarity and custody and money to be made to actually offer that trading service. So I think it, it, it really is a sign that this is becoming mainstream. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like uh, uh, an exchange like Binance, you know, made almost a billion dollars in, in less than a year of operation. ICE, which is the largest liquid markets exchange, only made a billion six um, last year. So, I mean. Tell us about your Bitcoin misery index. Yes. Yeah, so the BMI. Yeah. So we have a Bitcoin misery <laughs> index. Um, and it is now. <laughs> and you should think of it as like, how does it make you, how does Bitcoin make you feel? So the misery index is a measure of the consistency of Bitcoin. And it was 18 in February, which is misery. Um, and it clawed to 30-ish in March. It's now at 47. Now, 50 is, you know, is like the PMI. It's, it's actually between happy and sad. So it's mm -hmm. inching its way. And, and historically, as the BMI moves up, Bitcoin's price I, usually accelerates. And you calculate this how? So we look at uh, both win ratio, so the, the percentage of days Bitcoin outperforms, and then what we call upside versus downside vol. So how much do you make on the up days versus down days? Uh. You have to keep in mind, Bitcoin makes all of its return in 10 days in any year. So that's why you have to watch the BMI, because it, you don't want to lose your head when it's doing badly. And when you get over 25, you're obese. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> yes. Tom Lee. <laughs> all right. How do you know that? The BMI? All women know about no, the BMI. No, they changed the rules <laughs> with well, BMI. We scale differently. <laughs> no, I'm just telling you now. I would know being above 25. It's no longer obese. <laughs> Guy, what do you think about Bitcoin here? <laughs> My question about to Tom is exactly that. The fact that Goldman Sachs has made a push into this space gives it legitimacy on a different level, which is why a couple weeks ago we talked about if you took the name off the top of the chart and just looked at it, it appeared as though a bottom was put in. That's what I'll still say. Here's what I think is going on. First of all, I think from a sentiment perspective, in terms of how it's being traded, you've seen a couple things in the last few days. You've seen uh, the GBTC, which is the, the, the trust that you can buy in retail form without doing anything, um, is, is essentially trading at a premium. And I mean on an intraday basis. We know it's traded at a big premium, but it's, you're, you're seeing enormous speculation um, right now. The other dynamic here is I think you've seen, uh, is he talked about that which is overbought. He would rather relative value into those less bought. We're seeing a roll down, and we're seeing a roll down into the less liquid assets. I think this is the same thing that we saw in, in December. And, right. and I think if you look at you know, things like Tron and, and Cardano, I mean, those are the ones that have been really outperforming over the last couple of days. All right. The other big story that happened today we're going to talk about next, the 10-year yield crossing that key 3% level, highest in more than four years. Don't be scared, though. The traders have the stocks you should buy as rates rise. Plus, the one and only Stevie Grasso. Says there's one beaten down stock that he thinks is heading for a major breakout. He's going to step up to the plate, give us his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The U.S. 10-year yield hitting the key 3% level today for the first time in more than four years. Bob Pisoni is at the New York Stock Exchange. He's got the details. Hey, Bob. Hello, Michelle. It was a big deal that the 10-year Treasury hit 3% today. That's the highest since 2014. But a related issue is getting even more attention. That's commodity and wage inflation. So on earnings calls today and in the last week, many companies have commented on higher costs and the general negative impact 
on margin. So, for example, Caterpillar expects steel and other commodity costs to be a headwind all year. That was a big theme. There were similar concerns from 3M, from Kimberly-Clark, from Whirlpool, from Procter & Gamble, and from many other companies like Pentair even mentioned higher wage costs as an issue. Now, the big issue here is pricing power. Can the companies pass higher commodity costs onto the consumer? If not, uh-uh, margins are going to get compressed. Some can't. Consumer staple companies like Procter & Gamble and Kimberly-Clark, they've got no pricing power, and that's one reason they're sitting at new lows. Others might be able to raise prices, but if they can't, margins get hit, stock prices go down. That's an issue. So how does this relate to higher rates? Well, higher inflation expectations help drive up interest rates. It's a factor in why rates are higher. Here's what's interesting. When rates go up, interest rate-sensitive sectors like utilities and REITs almost invariably go down because they compete against Treasury bonds for people who want to buy higher yield. But utilities and REITs did initially decline when the 10-year hit 3%, but then they rallied and they closed in the green. And that's because the market decided that concerns over peak earnings and the whole Caterpillar thing uh, that they ignited was a bigger concern than higher rates. So a lot of cross currents today. Michelle, back to you. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Okay, thank you, Bob. Okay. All right, so what do you buy in a rising rate environment? Tim, let me kick it off with you. Well, so full disclosure, I sit on the board of, a, of an MLP ETF. And MLPs, folks, if you don't know, are essentially the infrastructure plays for the U.S. oil and gas industry. Master and Limited especially. Partnerships, Master MLPs. Limited Partnerships, and, and they have interesting tax advantages. But the bottom line is these were extraordinary investments when oil was booming, and they were extraordinarily poor when it was crushing. Um, MLPs are doing very well again because production is up. Obviously, oil prices are higher. But the cash flows to these guys are flowing very nicely. A lot of big projects have already been paid out in terms of CapEx. Big, big yields. I'm talking like 8 to 10 percent across the sector. AMSA is an ETF that you can play. Barron's had a very nice write-up yep, about them. Also said That's a lot exactly of them have right. cleaned up what were considered some shenanigans. Well, and there, there were. I mean, yeah. these, these are funky structures, and I think mm -hmm. you have to, that's why an ETF maybe needs to Do you have to, do you, do you need to have higher oil for that scenario for MLPs, or is it just different, different structure when you're looking at it as an income versus a Because for a rule? long time, they said the price of oil didn't matter. Right. They were just the distribu well, distributors. As long as the volume went through the pipe, they got paid. Re remember when OVX was, um, and again, I'm talking about oil price volatility, was, was astronomical in what was going on in oil. Oil has been so stable, and I mean at least the vol, even though the prices have been going higher. So I think you need stability in the oil sector. Frankly, I think we have it. I think people totally overshot to the downside, and I think oil is actually going to hold at least the bottom end of this range. So I'd go the other Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you, no, go. you go. Quickly, I'd go the other way. So 3% to me means the economy is getting better. We've all talked about that. So what means? what does it mean for employment? Now, you could say we're at full employment, but look at a company like Insperity, which we never talk about on this desk, but NSP. That stock effectively made an all-time high today, and it's gone up lockstep with short-term interest rates. So I think as rates continue to go higher, economy's getting better, more people in the workforce doing different things, NSP works. I mean, to me, it's simple, the banks, right? I mean, we, we know they're... In terms of an interest rate play. Of an interest rate play, yes, right. Not as a yield play for the stock, just their business is better sure. as rates move higher and as the economy grows. That's good for them. I mean, the thing, the knock on the banks was uh, talking about loan growth being somewhat anemic this past quarter, and they really got hammered for that. I think the economy How is about growing. Bank preferreds? Do you look at those? Because, again, that's a little bit of both right there. The preferreds right. That's are a higher, fat. yeah. That's more of a yield play. Yep. I kind of want the underlying business. I think you have to look where, where Bob Pisani was just talking about, utilities. They do have pricing power, and usually the knee-jerk reaction is to sell them while rates increase. But we haven't necessarily...
necessarily seen that because I think they're seen as a safety play this time around. There's too many other worries on the side, so utilities actually attract new dollars. To offset what would be the traditional Correct. trade with rising rates. Okay, got it. Thank you, guys. Still ahead, it's the battle that rocked Wall Street. Carl Icahn versus Bill Ackman. An Amazon best-selling author is going to join the desk for an insider's take on what happened on that very day. Plus, looking for a winner that can hold up in a sell-off? <laughs> Stevie Grasso stepping up to the plate to pitch a stock that did just that. Find out what it is when he delivers his fast pitch. That was More fast that was money good, coming Steve. up. I got to tell you, I like the form. I like oh, the form. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in November, Stevie Grasso stepped up to the plate to pitch Avis Budget Group. This stock has a lot of room still to the upside. I remain long it, and if you're looking for some place to have this type of a gain going forward, car is the place to be. And since that great call, Avis shares are up 40%. So what do you do now with the stock, Grasso? So when I first started talking about this stock, it was, it was probably around the mid-20s range. And then we sat here on the desk at 35, and I said it was a double. So looking at it now, it's trading 47 and change. I still do believe it gets to $70. Still hold it. I'm still long it. So you still think it's going to just uh, want to get the numbers straight? Sure. So we're going to go to 70. Times two. We're going to go to 70. <laughs> and what, what, For a rental car company in the age of What kind of multiple does it put on that company at that point? I mean, so, the, so forget about the multiple. If you, oh, look at, okay. if you look at this, did many people believe it would go from 18 to 47? Not me. I know. So, so, right. that, but, so the point is we're in a different, they right-size the fleet. This, this is a company that has to... They're going to, uh, with uh, Autonomous Drive, who's going to run these fleets? They are. They have an existing relationship with manufacturers. They know how to do it, and no one else wants to do this. Ford doesn't want to do it either. All right. Since Car was such a stellar pick for you, walk over to the plasma, and let's get another fast pitch from you. Can you walk and talk at the same so time? I think I can walk Look and talk at, at the same wow. time. Wow, so, impressive. So this next one is going to be GE. So... Originally, I did not like GE because of the unfunded liabilities and just the general environment with oil and the whole complex. So if you look at it now, oil has rallied. That's going to help, help the majority ownership in Baker Hughes for GE. That's number one. Number two, aviation and healthcare. That sort of outsizes, not just yet, but it chips away at the underperformance that you see in power generation. So that's the, that's the second reason, second bullish reason. And number three, rising rates are offsetting liabilities. Number one headwind that everyone has with GE, unfunded liabilities. The higher rates go, the more they can pay these liabilities. And if you look at the chart in the name, if you look at the chart in the name, this is the level here. It seems as if all the negativity has been priced in for now. If management can continue to perform the way they said they can perform, you're going to see the stock fly. You know what was the most important thing that happened today? The rest of the world was red. GE was green. That should tell you something. There was right. no it blood was left, Steve. <laughs> there was no blood left in the end. Oh, okay, that's, I think that's I, his point. I mean, no. Karen has a question. Just going back to the liabilities for a second. So I understand we're talking about the pension and just mathematically the way that works, they owe less if rates go up. However, they have a ton of debt on, that business, on the rest of their businesses. Rising rates is very often not a good thing for a debt. lot of debt. Sure. They're also the, the other thing that people are looking at, though, is the 12, 20 billion in asset sales. So I think people are myopic on the asset sales and the fact that rates are moving higher and they're clearing the desk 
uh, the deck, so to speak. So I don't think they're out of the woods. But market-wise, I think they're very close to being out of the woods. Tim, you got a question? This is kind of a leading question. I'm long the stock. So, but, you know, do you look at this as an earnings recovery story or truly just the market discovering the intrinsic value of this company and that even if they earn 50 cents next year, the stock is still worth owning? This is a, you know, when you and I have discussed this in the past, this is really a tactical, a tactical position on my part. I'm looking at technicals. I am looking at the fact that when Flannery says something negative, the market greets it with buying, not selling. So I do believe you're having a somewhat pseudo recovery, but I don't think it's a real fundamental story. I think it's an overreaction to the downside that's sort of wearing off at this point. Wow, 50, 50 cents would imply a huge No, that would be multiple. awful. Woo! Yeah. Let's <laughs> vote. My point is that people are, are, well, first of all, the way that Steve, Steve gets me to vote for him is pick stocks that I'm already long, so fantastic. <laughs> Just kidding, Steve. Uh, great job, Should have been Avis, too. Uh -huh. <laughs> Karen? All right. I, I love Steve, but I, lukewarm, meh, hold, wouldn't short it. I, I mean... What I get it. Warm meth mean? Meth. 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 Vote. So, you know, what Steve did, he brought a lot of good points to light. So we bring good things to light. <laughs> I'm not a GE fan, but, you know, he nailed the car thing, so why not on GE? Thumbs why up. Why not? Some ask why. I say why not. Okay. That's beautiful. Two buys, one sell. Let's see now, what Tony Braxton it's your turn. Turn. Are you buying Grasso's pitch for GE? Vote in our Twitter poll right now <laughs> at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later in the show. Plus, one of this year's high-flying stocks is on deck to report earnings tomorrow. Traders are breaking for a big miss, bracing for a big, big miss. We're going to give you that name and trade it ahead on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money, a secret dossier. No, we're not talking about the White House. Brawling billionaires, a battle that is now Wall Street legend, all told in this fascinating new book, When the Wolves Bite. Scott Wapner is the man behind the book and, of course, the host of CNBC's The Halftime Report. Scott, very welcome to you. Hey, guys. Good to be here. We want to start with the passage Weird from to be book. here in this role. Yeah. So listen to this passage. While Ackman may have inched toward the finish line, he made it clear that he wasn't ready to concede defeat. Ackman said his thesis on Herbalife hadn't changed one bit, but the circumstances around the investment had. We still think it's a good investment, he said. The fundamentals are deteriorating. They're actually getting worse, but the stock won't go down. What does it say about Ackman that he held on to this short for so long, Scott? Uh, that he is a relentless person, I think, in kind of all of his life pursuits. He is relentless. He said that he was going to go to the ends of the earth uh, for this particular investment, and he sure as heck tried to. And I try to capture some of that in the book to really get you inside the psyche of who Bill Ackman is as an investor, um, whether it was, you know, down in Washington trying to push the ball forward to get regulators to act or really any step he made along the way, holding a conference or multiple, uh, multiple presentations in the city over the course of the last five years to try and move the ball. That is certainly his M.O. I remember when he did that on MBIA which was very, very successful for him. And it was a seven-year wait right, for right. MBIA. Mm -hmm. Now, this Herbalife moment, did it mark the top in his career? It kind of feels like it. You know, it's hard to say. 
it happened at the same, Valiant happened at the same time, all right? I think it's a little unfair to say that Herbalife marked the top. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a billion-dollar bet. You know, guys like Bill Ackman make big, bigger bets than that uh, all the time. Valiant was a much bigger yeah. bet, and that was, you know, multiple billions of dollars. Had that not happened at the same time, maybe we're talking about Bill Ackman in a different way, but that was a devastating uh, loss in, in Valiant, compounded by what was going on in Herbalife, and it just makes it difficult. So you said he's relentless and would have gone to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Who made him not, who allowed, who didn't allow him to go to the ends of the earth? Were his investors were just saying, you know what? You, no, I think the writing was on the wall for in. a long time. I think Carl Icahn did. I think Icahn's presence when he emerged moved the goalposts to a point where it was impossible to overcome. Bill, Bill told me he never saw Icahn coming. He never expected Icahn to be there. And when he showed up, how do you get over that bar? You know, he knew that Icon wasn't going anywhere. He knew his position was so large and was growing over the last five years that that mother of all short squeezes that he first talked about on our show back on in January of 2013 was going to slowly and slowly and slowly materialize. I, I remember that conversation so clearly. Carl Icahn made it very, very clear. He actually didn't, at the very early stage, really had no view on the company. He just knew this guy was so short that it was easy. Like, and he, he said out loud, Jim Chanos never tells you his positions. Why? Because it's dangerous to go short. You have to keep them silent. And it was just such a strategic pinch. I think if Bill Ackman had been there in and of himself, I'm not sure that Icon would have gotten involved. I think once Personal. he knocked the stock down and they had this 10-year festering grudge, along with a point of view that he knocked this, the heck out of the stock, and Icon and, and Icon's people did a lot of work on it, um, by the way, and realized that it wasn't fundamentally uh, close, at least in their mind, to what Bill Ackman was, was laying out. So, okay, he saw an opportunity to make some money, and if I can get back at Bill Ackman in the same light, then maybe that's a cherry on top of the Sunday. But Carl's, Carl doesn't do things just out of sheer revenge. Or anything like that. I he does it to that. make money. Guy, guy has so a I got question. the book, MCC. <laughs> See, it's out today. I got the book. And Scott's going to sign to so put something flowery and like guy. I will. Flattering our, our for our sure. Transcends. Question. Yes. What's the Ackman icon relationship like now? I think it's fairly, you know, decent, right? There were a number of episodes over the last few years where they came together. Remember Delivering Alpha, where they had the, uh, the hug? Uh, somewhat awkward, but nonetheless <laughs> a, a hug. And they got t shirts that. that uh, we had made for them. And, you know, they have spoken multiple times over, over the years, including a time last week uh, when Bill, you know, said something at a conference and uh, called Icon later that night to discuss it a bit. Um, maybe it's still a little yep. strained, but it's nowhere near what it was five years ago. I think that's fair to say. It's nowhere near the level of uh, animus uh, flying around that was uh, existent on that day when they uh, were yelling at each other on our air. Well, we wish you the best of luck Thank with the so book, much. which is already selling so well on Amazon. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Congrats on hitting Amazon's bestsellers list. Again, it's called When the Wolves Bite. Goes on sale today. Get it now. All right, coming up. Talk more about stocks are reporting earnings this week, and the traders say are heading for trouble. We're going to tell you the name of this mystery stock. Plus, check out shares of General Electric after Grasso's pitch. We're going to find out if you at home are buying the stock when we come right back.
Welcome back. Twitter, one of the big names set to report tomorrow, but options traders are betting against the social media platform. Mike Coe is in Austin to break it down. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we've got the options market implying a big 12.5% move. One of the most active puts we saw trading were the weekly 28s. They were trading for about a dollar, almost 7,000 of those trading. So those would be bearish bets that Twitter could drop below $27 by Friday. Action on Friday. Now to the results of our Twitter poll. Ooh. Thanks, Mike Coe. Ooh. Ooh. Wait, oh. is this right? Is that, is that, it says Q, the Tony Braxton. Is that Tony? That's all right, Steve Grasso. You might have gotten it. Twitter fans are not buying your pitch for General Electric. There's been so much, so many tears already for General Electric. You'd think that Tony would have found a way to. All right, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim, I don't think there's going to be any tears investing in Citibank in this environment if the world is growing and actually interest rates are going higher. Karen? Yes, tomorrow we're going to see Anthem's earnings. I like them. Okay, so that's a buy. That's Got a buy, it. yes. Stevie, I wish my uncle was, was Dick, Dick Grasso. GE, GE for Tony Braxton. <laughs> Guy HCA, down. sister. HCA is buyer. Okay. Thank you, Thank you, guys. That does it for us. Fast Money again, 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Jim Cramer now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.